Hello and welcome back to the Tasty Morsels of Critical Care podcast. So today we're talking about diastolic dysfunction in the intensive care unit. And in the main, we tend to get more excited about systolic dysfunction. We obsess over the ejection fraction with numbers like an EF of 12% being reproduced recurrently on the handover sheets. But this is to neglect what constitutes the vast majority of the time of the cardiac cycle in those with sensible heart rates. It has become clear that a lot of cardiac dysfunction occurs during this phase of relaxing and we neglect it at our peril. So in terms of terminology, um, heart failure with preserved diffraction is the preferred term. This gets abbreviated to the wonderful HEF-PEF, which always makes me think of Hufflepuff from Harry Potter for some reason. This is in contrast to the HEF-REF, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. So from a physiological perspective, diastole goes from AV closure to MV closure, um, aortic valve to mitral valve. It consists of the following phases following aortic valve closure. So number one, IVRT or the isovolumic relaxation time where the muscle is relaxing, but the volume uh, in the chamber as yet remains unchanged. That's followed by early diastolic filling when the mitral valve pops open and the suction effect of the relaxing left ventricle pulls blood from the left atrium into the left ventricle down the pressure gradient. Then you have diastasis, where nothing really happens and it seems that they all pop out for a quick smoke. Then you have atrial contraction. The atria gives its puny little atrial kick as an attempt to justify its musculature. And finally, you have MV closure, and that's the end of diastole and we're moving into systole. So while we talk about diastole as cardiac relaxation, it is actually an active and a passive process. So active relaxation begins towards the end of systole and continues until the end of the early filling phase. Late filling from the end of the E wave to the end of the A wave on echo is largely passive. So from our point of view, we're looking for it in patients who look like they've got heart failure, but maybe don't have an obvious history of it, or the cardiac focus looks fairly normal, looks like the ejection fraction is fairly normal. We should probably think of it more in people with chronic hypertension, older patients, and those with lots of certain echo signs, such as raised heart, right heart pressures, big left atria, and things like an abnormal E-prime, um, which uh, when I first read, sadly, has nothing to do with Optimus Prime. So typically the diagnosis here is going to be made with echocardiography and there is a comprehensive guideline document endorsed by the American and European Echo Societies which has the lead author of Nagua from 2016 um, but increasingly it seems that many of the numbers and criteria in that document may not transfer well to the critical care population. So there's a couple of famous algorithms, one for reduced and one for preserved ejection fraction and it's not clear if you can simply apply those algorithms to the intensive care patients that we look after. But that's a discussion for a whole different day. So Diastolic dysfunction has relevance to the ICU population in two major areas. Firstly, in sepsis. So it seems that EF, ejection fraction, doesn't correlate particularly well with mortality in sepsis, though it seems that diastolic dysfunction does. Um, and it may be due to underfilling and the reduced diastolic filling um, due to the ubiquitous tachycardia that's there in sepsis. So if you've got diastolic dysfunction, you want more time to fill the heart. Whereas if you're tachycardic and you're, um, you've got more of kissing ventricles and you've got less preload, for example, um, maybe that's one of the reasons why these patients do worse. It does raise the tantalizing possibility of beta blocking the patient on 40 mics of NORAD, which as yet can only be described as a physiologically interesting but entirely unsupported as far as I can see. Um, fluid resource here is going to be very tricky in these patients uh, as too little is going to be bad um, if they're very much underfilled and too much is certainly going to be bad because they're going to raise left atrial pressures and develop pulmonary edema so you have very little room for error. 
The second main relevance of diastasolic dysfunction in the ICU is going to be weaning failure, and that means weaning from the mechanical ventilator. Uh, cardiac causes are a common cause of failure at extubation. You pull the tube, you lose all the afterload, reducing effect of the PEEP, and your patient gets re-intubated with pulmonary edema. So it seems that beelines and filling pressure estimations with echo are actually more predictive of failure um, of extubation than systolic dysfunction is, or diaphragm- diaphragmatic dysfunction ultrasound. So that's something to consider in your patient who's struggling to kind of liberate from the ventilator is there actually diastolic dysfunction going on. So this is all very interesting but we're left with the typical conundrum that advancing the understanding of a particular disease process often brings about. We actually have no proven treatments. This is what we find. We understand more of the details of physiology of why things aren't going well. We still can do nothing about it. So beta blockers and blood pressure control remain important in the outpatient population, um, but it's difficult to know how they apply to the ventilated septic ICU patient. And so from physiological reasoning, it probably would seem prudent to try and maintain sinus rhythm, try and maintain a normal preload, a low afterload and a slowish heart rate. Beyond that, we're kind of flying blind. So the references and justifications of this podcast come from the deranged physiology chapter on this, um, the McLean et al. Advanced Critical Care Echo textbook that was just published this year, um, and then there's a couple of papers that I've got in the show notes as well that are relevant to diastolic dysfunction within the intensive care unit. Thanks again for listening.